Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. Mike Lewis and Doug Battle brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. We are continuing with our look at a new quarterback performance metric and using that to forecast and project out the upcoming NFL season. Today on the agenda, we've got the NFC South. How are you, Doug? I'm doing well, Mike. You know from last week's conversation that I've been stoked to talk about the NFC South and one team in particular that ranked last in the division last week. So let's do this. Okay. Well, Doug, look, at the very top of it, we have the man. I mean, he is, you know, Tom Brady is going to be the main story in the NFL till he hangs it up. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He is going to, he's broken every record, every, you know, all-time great type of metric. I've got the Bucks at 10 and a half wins to win the NFC South, to position Tom Brady to, you know, essentially have another playoff run and be in Super Bowl contention. He will be the story of the league Again, you can't overstate this. He is the face of the league. And it's kind of interesting that despite all of his greatness in New England, it was only after the move to Tampa Bay. And and look, you've commented on some of this, his forays into, what's he on, TikTok or Instagram? TikTok. That his true greatness as his personality has is, is come out. But Tom Brady is the, again, just, it doesn't even need to be said, right? Tom Brady is the NFL story. He is. When Tom Brady left New England, I'm not going to lie, Mike. I had this sneaking suspicion that Brady in a Buccaneers uniform was going to be much like Michael Jordan playing for the Washington Wizards. I thought it was a retirement tour, kind of a step toward retirement, moving down to the beach. His play would drop off. Super Bowl contention would be out of question. And Tom Brady would be selling tickets and jerseys for fun and going out there and throwing it around like Brett Favre when he played for the Jets or or for the Vikings. I expected that type of performance from Brady. Clearly, I was wrong on that one. And what we've seen is Tom Brady continue to play at the level he's known to play at and cement himself as the GOAT. I don't think there's any question at this point in the NFL at the quarterback position. And Tampa Bay 
still sitting right there in, in Super Bowl contention every single year. Seems as though that's been the case for every team Brady's been a part of for the last 20 years, just about. I don't remember how was his Michigan team senior year, right? Um, well, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't think you were wrong. I mean, when you say that, you know, you had your doubts about Brady, I think the doubts were universal. That everyone sort of thought, or even if they thought they were very pro Brady, they, they was like, well, maybe it was Belichick, right? Or maybe they needed yeah. each other. I think everyone is surprised with what he has done the last couple, the last couple of years. Uh, now I'll say this: in terms of this QB win metric, Brady might be my favorite player because if you look at Tampa Bay before he got there, Tampa Bay was seven and nine in 2019. Uh, you know, Jamez was a minus 1.26 player. Brady came in as a be- essentially as a plus two, plus two and a half win. So a three and a half, 3.75 win turnaround. And lo and behold, the Buccaneers win 11 and five. And so as mm-hmm. a, you know, there might be no better example in terms of the sort of the, the case I'm building that you can get pretty far by just looking at the quarterback talent and quarterback performance in terms of team performance in this league. Yeah, and you go back in time, maybe someone like myself would have looked at Tom Brady and the Buccaneers situation and said, you know what, it's not worth it. This team's 7-5, and five. they're not Super Bowl contenders. Adding an aging quarterback is not a... Sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe start rebuilding, build for the future. 7-5 and five is, you don't feel like you're on the fringe or something special at that point bringing on an aging star in most sports, that's a bad move traditionally. But like you said, when you have something like the QB wins metric and you look at it and you say, okay, what if we were 11? It wasn't seven and five. It was whatever their record was before. What if we were, what if we became 11 and five and brought in a quarterback like Brady, all of a sudden you start to see where the value is with a number like this. And clearly the bucks weren't working with this metric, but they had something to give them confidence that Brady could make that kind of change. This just makes that decision that much easier if I'm a GM moving forward in the NFL. I I think he's, you know, we've talked a lot about player empowerment and how Tom Brady has brought a little of the NBA to the NFL. Yeah. Maybe the story's even more dramatic than we let on because, you know, as as we go through this, these projections and we look at someone like an Aaron Rodgers and we think about the off season and him staying in in Green Bay, I, I think you could make a case that, you know, using, not even looking at the QB win metric, but just using Tom Brady as the example, that you put Aaron Rodgers on any, I guess it's, you know, I want to say eight and eight, essentially eight and eight, eight and nine, or nine and eight team, and you make them a Super Bowl contender. And so I think the league has, at least for the moment, has changed. And look, who won the Super Bowl last year, right? Matthew Stafford, right? Mm-hmm. And one of these guys, you know, not going for the draft, but bringing in this this proven, let's say, plus two win type of quarterback, given the parity in the NFL, that's probably the playbook for success at the moment. It is. And I, I think just hammering in this point, the Buccaneers situation is the perfect example because that wasn't a nine-win team. That wasn't a, I mean, I think, I don't know what the Rams record was, but my perception of them was that they were a quarterback away. I never felt that way about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Jameis, especially with the numbers Jameis Winston was putting up. 
he threw a lot of interceptions, but he also threw a lot of touchdowns and threw for a lot of yards. So it's not like they had no passing game and we're simply going to add a passing game. It was just, it, it seemed a little bit more of a marginal difference adding a different quarterback in that situation. And yet, like we've talked about, you go from being a seven and nine team to being a Super Bowl contender every single season for the foreseeable future. That's quite the worthwhile acquisition. And however much money they're paying Brady, I'm sure there's no regrets about that. So uh, the one the one caveat in this that QB wins just doesn't predict is whether or not a, a quarterback's play is going to drop off as they age. And that was the big question in Tampa with Tom Brady coming in. Of course, he might have, you know, if you look at the QB wins number, the previous season, he might have added three or four wins to a team. But moving forward, as he's aging into his 40s, how can we expect him to continue playing at that level? That's where you kind of have to take a gamble. And Brady is a guy who's never relied too much on his athleticism. So his play probably lends itself to that better than maybe a Lamar Jackson, who you bring in at this point, thinking he can add the amount of wins he added two seasons ago. Maybe he's not capable of that anymore. We'll see. I think that's I think that's true. You know, the other guy that comes to mind is I mean, some of these guys, and I don't think, you know, Brady and Rogers, they don't they don't move like old guys, right? I mean, I'm not saying they move like young guys. Yeah. Contrast, I think of a guy like Roethlisberger at Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. He was moving like an old man, right? I mean, he oh, yeah. get enough hits. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it appears that the quarterback position has almost moved to this thing where you know, maybe you can you know, like we don't get to see these guys, right? But you know, the 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 player, the the coaches can actually see if they they are starting to physically break down. And so, if they're not starting to physically break down, then maybe you know the experience is is the key. Now, here, let me ask you a different question. On all this, Doug. Okay, so Tom Brady is the best story in the NFL, and he's the best story in the NFL for a bunch of reasons. I, you know, he wins more than Rodgers. He's got a personality. Well, I find Rodgers more amusing and sort of more entertaining. Mm-hmm. It's a much more wholesome personality. Yeah. It's mass market versus niche market. But when we get down to this, is Tom Brady creating any brand equity in Tampa Bay? Is he making the bucks? Because you think about this. Let's say he gets another Super Bowl for him. Is he actually turning the Bucks into that kind of dynasty? It doesn't feel that way to me. It feels like now nah, this is Tom Brady. Yeah, went down south for a couple of years, and then he's going to move on to something else. And the and the Bucks are going to come back down to seven and nine. Yeah, and the folks that I know in Tampa, I will say they have this reinvigorated spirit about the Buccaneers with that Super Bowl. And as we know, Super Bowls are the most crucial part of building long-term fandom in the NFL and and this history and the sense of pride and a community for a team. So Tampa Bay is building a little bit of that, but it is largely the Tom Brady fandom and a a kind of part-time or short-term following of this team, it seems, from a lot of folks because Brady is in Tampa. I don't think it hurts, though. I just... The tough thing is, like, even you think about the Chicago Bulls. Of course, Jordan was there for forever. But the problem is going to a Bulls game will never be what it was. 
<laughs> when when MJ was there. And I get that sense with the Patriots and I get that sense with the Bucks with Brady is that 10 years from now, they'll be like a shadow of what they were and everyone will be like, yeah, this was once a great franchise for a short time. And if you look at the Washington Wizards where Jordan went, of course, we all know in the short term, they were probably sold. They probably sold out entire seasons worth of regular season basketball games in Washington, D.C., but that hasn't amounted to much in the long term. I have no idea where Washington ranks and your phantom rankings for the NBA, but I imagine it's it's pretty pretty near the bottom. So I somewhere between those two, I don't know. But long term, I don't think adding a guy this late too, it's like when you build like I'm a New York Giants fan. The Giants drafted Eli Manning. And I watched that team grow and become a championship team over the course of a decade. And by the time they won something, it was a group of men who you had watched play football together and who you had pulled for and who you had seen face adversity. When you bring in a mercenary type player like Brady at this point in his career, I don't think there's that same sense of fandom. I don't know how else to put it. There's, it's a different experience. I, I think that, you know, as, as you were going through some of that, when you were referencing Michael Jordan, the one thought that popped into my head was, well, LeBron James in some ways. And so do, it's almost like yeah. this very special class of superstars. Very, very few people in it. Maybe just two or three. Maybe three people. That Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James are actually apart from their team. Now, Jordan, I think, Back in the day in the Bulls, it was the previous era, and he's always going to be connected to it. But I bet you if he was playing right now, it would have that feeling of, well, this is just where Jordan's playing for the next couple of years. And this is just where Brady or you know where LeBron's, their temporary home. Yeah, and the last player that I can think of who was truly synonymous with their team was Kobe Bryant in Los Angeles. That's a player that... You can't disassociate Kobe. And part of that is because he played, I mean, Tim Duncan in that same era, they played for one team for the longest time um, and for their entire careers. LeBron is a perfect example, Mike. And I think LeBron James has done nothing for the long-term fandom of various franchises that he has played for. Of course, Cleveland is always going to feel like home. And I think his story in Cleveland makes that one a little bit special. But the Los Angeles Lakers, not that they needed any more fandom, but I think if you talk to the average Lakers fan 10 years from now and they're asked to name some of the great Lakers players of all time, even though LeBron might be the best player that's ever played for the Lakers, I don't know if he gets mentioned in that conversation. Definitely the third guy, I think. You know, well, I mean, but in terms of like the eras, I think it's Kobe Magic and then maybe, maybe LeBron, yeah. maybe not. I just think that he's just another, it's just a little pit stop on his tour. It doesn't, even though they won the, the Mickey Mouse ring or whatnot, and they'll, they'll try to win another one. I, I don't think that his legacy is necessarily changed or the Lakers franchise has been changed by LeBron playing in LA. And be a positive. I mean, you think about this. I mean, they've missed the playoffs a couple of years that he's been there, right? Yeah. I mean, you could, I mean, it's a funny thing, right? He's such a high profile guy, but I think you could actually argue that it's been kind of a disastrous signing for the Lakers. Weirdly enough, it's the most disastrous signing that resulted in a championship <laughs> because they did win a championship and we forget that. Long story short, Tom Brady, Tom Brady and the Bucks. It's not like LeBron and the Lakers. It's like LeBron and 
if he went to Milwaukee. It's something so. different, right? I mean, it is, you know, because usually that aging star goes off and, and you know, you know, either just plays out a couple of years as a little bit subpar or they get one victory. I mean, Brady's been the biggest story in the NFL for, you know, almost every moment, right? I mean, he's the biggest star when he retires. He's the biggest star when he comes back. He's the biggest story when Gronkowski retires. Yeah. Biggest story when when they change coaches in Tampa Bay, right? So he is the, he is the focus for for the league. I don't know that it translates to to Tampa, but you're right. It definitely it helps. It does not hurt. Yeah, and one one more Brady story while we're on the subject. As we speak, the Buccaneers reportedly reached a one-year deal with two-time Pro Bowler tight end Kyle Rudolph from the Giants previously with the Vikings. So it looks like Brady will have his replacement for Gronk. And Gronk, meanwhile, is apparently wanting to model for Tom Brady's underwear line. That is the headline for Robert Gronkowski at the moment. Gronkowski has become a sillier version of Shaquille O'Neal for NFL retirement. Silly. Too silly silly for Mike. Okay. Second place, projected second in the division. I have the New Orleans Saints at 8.2 wins. And so one of the things that keeps Brady relevant is it's a relatively weak division. Yep. As these things go, there's not a lot on the, you know, there's not a lot of competition for, for Tampa Bay out of the NFC South. Uh, Winston is a guy statistically when I, when I look at the data, I, I have him coming in as a little bit below average, frankly. So I've got him in, you know, minus 1.26, as we noted in Tampa Bay before Tom Brady got there, a 0.4 guy last year. So slightly above average, but you know, he's, he's kind of a standard break even guy with probably a few more misses than hits. And so for, you know, where, how does this play out for New Orleans? Leaves them kind of, you know, dead average, frankly, it, just short of, you know, eight and a half wins, so 8.2 wins. Now, the to me, the thing that's at least a little bit interesting about New Orleans, well, okay, so when I was writing this up there, there were some brief rumors that Drew Brees was going to come back. Okay, Drew Brees comes back, then suddenly that's the greatest that's the best off-season NFL story. We're all ready for matchups against Brady, et cetera. That seems like an ever-increasing long shot. New Orleans has also brought in Andy Dalton. Dalton in the data is also a minus-one type player. So the the Saints are that classic team where they've got, you know, they might be talking, they got a great quarterback room, they got two guys. I don't know that they have one guy, Doug. It's that that cliche. Anytime you have two guys... As a fan, you should be concerned when they're they're saying, "Oh, we've got we can win with two guys. We've got two guys that we feel very comfortable and very confident about." Those are those are scary words for a football fan. I think New Orleans is in that position. I was going to say that I would not be shocked to see various starting quarterbacks this year. Jameis Winston, his potential is still astronomical. He's got a great arm. He can make all the throws. He's an athlete. He's a competitor. He's a leader. It's just between the ears sometimes. His decision-making can be suspect, and I think that's what resulted in so many interceptions. Down in Tampa, we saw what happened when a different quarterback, of course the greatest quarterback of all time, takes over for a guy like Winston, 
and you know that you can do better if you're the New Orleans Saints. So we'll see if Winston learned under Drew Brees and company and knows what it takes to play at a higher level at this point in his career. I, I would almost expect Andy Dalton to start a game or two after some struggles somewhere in the middle of the season. That's life for a football fan when you have two middle-of-the-pack quarterbacks on the same roster, no alpha, no number one. Although I will, I will say we kind of forget that Winston was the number one pick. It's crazy how Winston and Baker Mayfield, these guys who were once teams would have traded the farm for, are commodities in the NFL at this point. They're not that hard to acquire, and they they still have potential. I think that's the value for a team like the Saints when they brought on Winston. I feel like they found potentially a diamond in the rough at a, a low-risk asset for them. So worth a shot, but I, is he the quarterback of the future? We'll find out. I don't think so. Oh couple of things you mentioned that are on my list for this division. So in terms of the Winston being a low risk at his contracts, two year, two year deal, $28 million. So in the, in the current version of the NFL quarterback market, that's a low risk guy, right? Yep. It's a Mitch Trubisky kind of guy. It, this is the, I, I think that's the journeyman pay scale of about 14, $15 million as opposed to the, the 40, the 40 or $45 million contract. Uh, the other one, since you alluded to it, okay, Tom Brady was drafted. Do you remember what number he was drafted? I was going to say it was in the sixth round somewhere. 199th in 2000. Winston was drafted number one overall in 2015. Baker Mayfield, who we'll get to with the Panthers next, number one in 2018. Sam Darnold, number three in 2018. And I, and I, did I say Mayfield? Mayfield was also 2018. I'm not sure if I said 2019. And Mariota for the Falcons was number two in 2015. Mm-hmm. Vision may have the highest drafted quarterback group of any in all of football. And they all seem like journeymen, except for the guy that was picked in the sixth round. Except for the guy who actually is a journeyman. <laughs> as far as his stops and his age. It's amazing how Tom Brady is getting the contract that maybe a quarterback coming off of a great first couple years would be getting. And Jameis Winston, who's probably a decade younger, former first or former number one pick, is is getting the kind of contract you would expect from a 40-year-old quarterback in the NFL who's been playing for forever and who's had all kinds of injuries. And so that's the NFC South right now. From a mental standpoint, Tom Brady is the alpha by a mile in this division. I mean, there's not, he does not have a rival in this division at the quarterback position. There's, if Drew Brees were with the Saints, that would be interesting because he's on any given day, he can go toe to toe with Tom Brady as a quarterback mentally, how he analyzes the game, how he plays. That is not the style. Winston has always been a raw talent in the NFL. And his, he's going to have to develop quite a bit for people to really respect him in the same division and in the same sentence as a guy like Tom Brady. I think that can be said for any of the quarterbacks in this division that aren't Tom Brady. Okay, how about if we go to the third team in the division? And my, my, the team I'm projecting third with 6.8 wins are the Carolina Panthers. Wow. Now, as we mentioned, 
the Panthers have the number. I mean, again, you, you make a great point. I mean, every year going in, or most years going into the NFL draft, there is so much hype about the quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. And people are willing to, you know, back up the truck and, and give all sorts of deals and multiple picks and players to get, you know, the so-called elite guys, right? The guys that they fall in, lo- in love with in the lead up to the draft. The Panthers now have the number one pick and the number three pick from the 2018 draft. And no one seems to want either of these guys, right? That has completely fallen off. The hype is long gone. Now you said, (laughs) as you're saying that Tom Brady is the alpha and none of these guys can look him in the eye. Well, I think the Panthers are fascinating in that I think Mayfield thinks he can look him in the eye. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) And so how does this quarterback battle go, Doug? I mean, it's just this division, it's like a dad and his little children. And every now and then, if, I don't know if you played sports with your dad growing up, but it's like he'll kind of let you compete with him and then he'll beat you at the very end. But that's what I foresee with Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield and Jameis Winston and Sam Darnold when he inevitably plays. We don't know who the starter is going to be for the Carolina Panthers for the longest time, it was looking like Sam Darnold. They acquired him, but then I guess they saw what they thought was a value in Baker Mayfield, really not having to give up much for him in terms of assets, bringing him in to compete. He's probably the best quarterback on the roster. Maybe good enough quarterback to get them to the playoffs with the right supporting cast. He had up and down years, but statistically, I know his QB wins with the Browns was spectacularly bad in recent years. Last year, I've got Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold right next to each other in the ratings, in the rankings, where Mayfield a little bit ahead at minus 3.2 and Darnold at minus 3.5. So when, you know, after they traded for Baker Mayfield, I didn't update the projection at all, Doug, because I think they're the same player. <laughs> That's for fair. And, and I mean, I almost think if you go out and you get a guy, especially a guy with Mayfield's, uh, whatever you want to call it, ego, swagger. You almost have to start him. Don't don't you, right? Because I would be afraid as a coach. I mean, if I got two, I mean, this is completely unfair. But as a coach, if I've got these two guys and one of them has a much bigger ego, it's almost like I'm afraid of not playing Mayfield, you know, after after trading for him. He's going to blow up my locker room. And so given that it's kind of a, a pick em, I think they start with Mayfield. And finish with Darnold. I can definitely see that. And I'm looking forward to Mayfield getting pulled from a game because I don't imagine him handling it with a lot of maturity. Watching Sam Darnold trot out there and take over for his team is just... It's hard to imagine Mayfield handling that like a professional, seeing the way he's handled everything throughout his college and professional career. Doug, you're an SEC guy. Um, The rookie is an SEC. Wasn't it from Mississippi, Coral? Matt Corral, yeah. I mean, is he going to play into this? I think if I had to guess, I would say the three quarterbacks play for the Panthers this season. Matt Corral, his buzz dropped a lot leading up to the draft. I'm assuming he had a bad pro day, bad combine or whatnot. He's got the arm talent. There's no question about that. He's an athlete. Kid can run. He can play. He can compete. And the biggest question mark with him, and I remember as a high school recruit, Georgia was looking at him. 
Florida was talking to him. Both teams, who both, by the way, could have competed for championships had they had him at quarterback because they both teams were a quarterback away at some point in Matt Corral's college career. They both let him go because they had character concerns. So I don't know. There were, Nothing crazy happened while he was in college, but I imagine there were some significant concerns for t- schools like Florida and Georgia to pull offers from a five-star quarterback in high school when they're a quarterback away from a championship. That's the biggest concern with Matt Corral. I, like I said, I, I think it's possible that he's the best out of this bunch. I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he's ready. I think he's more of a project player, but when you're on the team or when you're on a team in the NFL and the quarterbacks are struggling and there's a young guy who's got a lot of promise, there starts to feel like a lot of pressure, especially if you're eliminated from the playoffs to get him out on the field and start building for the future. So this could be the most volatile quarterback room in the league. Yeah, and I think Matt Corral is kind of the wild card that no one, everyone's talking about Mayfield and Darnold, but Corral's sitting right there. I know he's a competitor. He's also got an enormous ego from everything that I've seen. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just simply mean he's a quarterback. He's He wants to be the alpha of the team. He wants it to be his team. You know Baker Mayfield feels that way. I'd imagine Sam Darnold has a similar approach to football. So let me say this, Mike. Sometimes when a, when a team has multiple quarterbacks competing, my impression is that if you made a combination of those quarterbacks, you would have a really good quarterback. And I say this because there's been Georgia teams over the years where they don't have a quarterback. And they'll have, they'll have one guy who's got a cannon arm, but he's completely inaccurate. And they'll have one guy who's real smart and makes great decisions and is real accurate, but he he throws, they'll call him noodle arm. He throws, he, he has no velocity on any of his throws. And then they'll have another kid who can run and who's got wheels, as they say. And you look at it and you're like, man, any one of those guys, you put them each in the game, they have a little success in one area, but ultimately they fail in another and you feel like if you could just combine those three players, I think that's the Carolina Panthers almost feel like that's their their management's position. Is like, we've got Darnold, he's got the arm. Mayfield, he's got a little bit more of the leadership. And this kid, Corral, he's he's got wheels, he can run, he's, he's a dual-threat quarterback. And you sit there as an organization, and it's like you try to force one of them to become all of them. And it doesn't seem to ever work out when teams do that. Last point on the Panthers, Baker Mayfield's endorsement career all but over at this point. I think, you know, I could see Baker Mayfield having a comeback. I could see him. I could see him at some point taking a team like the Panthers to the playoffs. And his personality is so noteworthy that if there's any success on the field, I expect 10 times the success off the field for Baker Mayfield. Okay, fair enough. Uh, bringing up the back of the NFC South, Doug, I've got the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons uh, parted ways with uh, Matt Ryan over the offseason. You know, we've talked about him uh, moving to Indianapolis and likely the, the impact of Ryan as a positive player, probably a, a plus one type quarterback for the most part. The Falcons went out and they got Marcus Mariota. Again, I'm not, I'm not laughing. I'm just laughing at the 
level. You're laughing. You're laughing, Mike. Uh, no, I mean, laughing at the level of talent in terms of like, because the amount of hype on all of these guys is so over the top. And so the number two pick in the 2015 draft as very much a, a guy coming to town and there's no excitement whatsoever. Um, they picked a who who they, they picked the quarterback from Cincinnati in the third round. What's his name? Ritter. Desmond Ritter. Yep. I've got the Falcons projected at five and a half wins, pure rebuilding uh, project in Atlanta at this point. Is it really a rebuild when you don't have the quarterback of the future? And I say that under the assumption that Ritter is not. We will see what happens with him. But an entire season with two placeholder quarterbacks, that's pretty frustrating for a fan base. Falcons fan base has been beyond frustrated ever since their Super Bowl run with Matt Ryan and company blowing that lead as I'm sure everyone's cringing in pain as I even mentioned that, that that is a Falcons fan and falling off exponentially ever since that game. Franchise has never been the same. A lot of questionable moves by management this year in the draft Falcons are in a position with the eighth overall pick they had their pick of any of the wide receivers they took Drake London out of USC a guy a lot of people pegged as you know the fourth or fifth best wide receiver in the draft taking him eighth overall in front of Jameson Williams Olave all I mean all the Ohio State guys all the Alabama guys it's a head scratcher there's been a lot of head scratchers amongst the Falcons management, they've got to surprise the fans on some of these picks. Some of, like if they need a guy like Drake London to go out and have a better career than the guys he was drafted in front of at the wide receiver position, not a lot of people are predicting that. But the, the Falcons management, they need hope. That's what they need. That fan base is one that is lacking hope. They had hope. It died. Tom Brady killed it. And ever since then, it seems like the franchise has done everything they can to build a losing franchise. It's like if you could, if you could, if you were paid to go in and try to dismantle a, a contender, you would do exactly what Falcons management has done ever since 28 to three. That's uh, <laughs> Doug's opinion is strong on the Falcons. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm strong because I want to be a Falcons guy. Like all, all my friends are Falcons fans and I want to pull for them. And it's just really hard to get behind a team where they're just constantly making decisions that it's just not worth investing in for me because they're, they're going to do something stupid and it's going to upset me and make me frustrated. I'd rather pull for somebody that doesn't do that to me. Well, you know, I might be backing myself into a look. I mean, I've talked some about doing a bunch of research on, quarterbacks over over the years and it's definitely influenced how I feel about the the position and how I feel about the NFL. If you don't and as you were saying two placeholder quarterbacks, if you don't have your quarterback of the future, my feeling is that you should be desperately trying to find that quarterback, right? And so, you know, taking a guy in the 3rd round, that's, you know, that's that's taking a shot. You can get Sometimes those guys develop, but I think that that's gotta be the, you know, that I don't, I don't get the sense that the Atlanta fan, fan Atlanta Falcon fandom feels all that confident that this is the plan for the future. And, and look, maybe the Falcons are playing for a draft pick. Maybe they're going to pick a guy in the first round this next year. And then suddenly they've got a, 
They've got a full quarterback room with a journeyman veteran in Mariota, a third-round guy with some talent, and a first-round guy. I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the big-picture plan is, but the plan has got to be to get a... I, I guess if I'm going to simplify things, I what I think I think is that the plan has either got to be that you're investing in the line in preparation for when that quarterback of the future arrives, or you're trying to find that quarterback. And it's, I know that sounds overly simplistic, but I get the sense that, you know, from all the data I've ever crunched over the years, that that's half the battle. And so you got to address that half the battle or 60% of the battle before you worry about the rest of this stuff. Yes. The, I, I personally think this year the Falcons, Marcus Mariota, we know what Marcus Mariota is capable of in the NFL, and it's it's nothing to be excited about. He's not the quarterback of the future for anybody. Desmond Ritter's got to be the guy. I think they need, I'm not saying game one, but I think for this franchise, for this fan base to have hope, to have some level of excitement, they need Ritter to come out and surprise some people. I'm not predicting that. I'm simply saying that's what the franchise needs with what they have right now. If not, I wouldn't be shocked to see them go after a veteran like Jimmy Garoppolo, somebody that can at least bring respectable football to Atlanta and be competitive behind the Buccaneers for a wild card spot. But with what they have, I think Ritter's the one that has, at to this point, we don't know what he could be. So as far as we know, his ceiling is the moon. And Falcons fans can get excited if he goes out and plays a couple good games, wins a couple football games for the Falcons, and shows some promise that they have something to build around for the future. Because, other words, like I said, if you if you don't have your future quarterback on the team and you're rebuilding, you're not rebuilding. Okay, Doug, let's wrap up the NFC South at that point. As always, folks, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. <laughs>